0: The breaking day met him when he reached the top, softened by a low-hanging stratum of clouds that would burn off within the hour. Since Peter's resignation from the expeditionary, the dam had become a site of totemic importance in his mind. In the days leading up to his fateful departure for the homeland, he had brought his nephew here. Nothing especially noteworthy had occurred. They had taken in the view and talked about Peter's journeys with the expeditionary, and about Caleb's parents, Theo and Mouse, then gone down to the impoundment to swim, something Caleb had never done before. An ordinary outing. Yet by the end of that day, something had changed. A door had opened in Peter's heart. He had not understood it at the time, but on the far side of this door lay a new way of being, one in which he would assume the responsibilities of being the boy's father. That was one life, the one that people knew about. Peter Jackson, retired officer of the expeditionary turned carpenter and father, citizen of Kerrville, Texas. It was a life like anybody else's, with its satisfactions and travails, and he was glad to live it. Caleb had just turned ten. Unlike Peter, who at that age was already serving as a runner of the watch, the boy was experiencing a childhood— He went to school, he played with his friends, he did his chores without much prodding and only occasional complaint, and every night after Peter tucked him in, he drifted into dreams on the cushioning knowledge that the next day would be just like the last. He was tall for his age, like a Jackson. The little boy's softness had begun to leave his face. Every day he looked a little bit more like his father, Theo though the subject of his parents never came up anymore. Not that Peter was avoiding it. The boy just didn't ask. One evening, after Peter and Caleb had been living on their own for six months, the two of them were playing chess when the boy, hovering over his next move, said simply, with no more weight than if he were inquiring about the weather, "'Would it be okay if I called you Dad?' Peter was startled. He had failed to see this coming.' Is that what you wanted to? Peter asked, and the boy nodded. Uh Uh-huh, he said. I think that would be good. As for his other life, Peter could not say quite what it was, only that it existed, and that it happened at night. His dreams of the farmstead included a range of days and events, but the tone was always the same. A feeling of belonging— of home. So vivid were these dreams that he awoke with the sensation that he had actually traveled to another place in time, as if his hours of waking and sleeping were two sides of the same coin, neither one more real than the other. What were these dreams? Where did they come from? Were they the product of his own mind? Or was it possible that they derived from an outside source? even from Amy herself. Peter had told no one about the first night of the evacuation from Iowa when Amy had come to him. His reasons were many, but most of all he couldn't be sure the whole thing had actually happened. He had entered the moment from deep sleep. Sarah and Hollis's daughter out cold on his lap. The two of them bundled up in the Iowa cold beneath a sky, so drunk with stars he had felt himself to be floating among them. And there she was. They had not spoken, but they didn't need to. The touch of their hands was enough. The moment had lasted forever and was over in a flash. The next thing Peter knew, Amy was gone. Had he dreamed that too? The evidence said so. Everyone believed that Amy had died in the stadium killed in the blast that had killed the Twelve. No trace of her had been found. And yet, the moment had felt so real. Sometimes he was convinced that Amy was still out there. Then the doubts would creep in. In the end, he kept these questions to himself.